0: Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reebum. I'm your host Keith Berkelhammer, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Hillary Jaffe. Hey, Hillary, what's up?
1: Hey, how's it going? Great. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, we're really excited to have you here. This uh, this will be another great show, hopefully. And and uh, folks are starting to uh, to tune in here. And I see Scotty Damron is here, and Sean Dave's if that's the way I'm pronouncing. Hopefully, it's pronounced uh, correctly. There, John Ree from Vermont, welcome back. Got Discan Thus Reef, Star City Reef, folks. Uh, glad you can join us tonight. And as always, I really encourage you to ask our guests questions. It um, certainly will make for a more engaging show. Before we start chatting with Hillary, I want to thank Ginger B. Coaching again for being the moderator for this live stream. The conversations in chat have been just great. So I really want to encourage, like I said, everybody to participate and ask questions. So let's keep that ball rolling and keep the chat civil and constructive. So, Hillary, for those of you that uh, don't know, is a uh, marine biologist, an aquarius, and also the founder of Waterlog. So, Hillary, let's uh, let's start with Waterlog. What's what's Waterlog all about?
1: So, Waterlog is kind of it, I would say it's my baby. It's a project that I've been working on for several years, and it's just my way to just kind of nerd out and share my favorite things that I, you know, I see about the ocean and sea life and fish and whatever. And it's my way to share that with other people and hopefully inspire people. And through that, my goal is maybe, you know, we'll be able to protect these environments that if you're a hobbyist that we, you know, we keep takes home, we obviously love them. So we want them to be around for quite a while.
0: And so how can they find you um, on the internet?
1: So I primarily focus most of my time on Instagram. It's waterlogged1313. Um, you can find me on Facebook as well, um, waterlogged, W-A-T-E-R-L-O-G-D, or I have a website, waterloggedlife.com, or you can also find me on YouTube. All
0: right, so we're going we're gonna to dig into some stuff here, and I've got a whole bunch of questions for you, but um, let's, let's start. I, I always ask my guests at the start of the show, how they got involved in the hobby or the business. So what's what's your story there, Hillary? How did you get started in all of this? How did it begin?
1: How did it begin? Um, so I was in college going to school for marine science. And, you know, college kids get bored. You want to get a dog, but you can't have a dog in your dorm rooms. And I ended up with a freshwater 10-gallon tank full of guppies. And that turned into a freshwater puffer tank. And it was that puffer fish that just made me like, oh, wow, fish are really cool. Like, they absolutely just fascinate me. There's so much more to them than people realize. And I think that was probably about the time that I'm like, hey, I think I might want to work in a public aquarium. I want to be in a place where I can teach people about these things and show them it's more than just, oh, hey, a silly little goldfish. You know, I feel like goldfish get a terrible rap. But, you know, so that kind of, I guess, was the start of it. And finished school i went and after i graduated i worked at a local fish store in uh charlotte north carolina fantastic and i think the guys there that owned it they gave me like a crash course on how to take care of coral and fish and that that was the beginning and that's how it all
0: that's how it all started there huh yep yeah so um it's, it's interesting. So marine biology, how does one get uh, into marine biology in terms of the studies and that, that career path?
1: Um, you know, it, it's crazy because people ask me that. It, it wasn't necessarily an intentional choice. I want to be a marine biologist. I grew up um, playing outside all the time, playing in the creeks and the ponds, and I was always exploring and, you know, That just fascinated me. So I had the opportunity to go to school and get in-state tuition at uh, Coastal Carolina University in Morrill Beach. And I was like, I think that sounds like fun. Like, I don't know what I want to do, but it sounds like fun. And yeah, I did a lot of work with oyster restoration and living shoreline projects and a lot of um, conservation ecology related things when it comes to marine science. It wasn't until I started as a hobbyist that I really became passionate about um, aquariums and fish and ornamental species.
0: uh uh-huh. YouTube Reefer says George George Costanza is a marine biologist too. uh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that was uh that was a great episode when he saved the well. I don't know if you uh saw that with the uh the golf ball in the uh oh. blowhole of the uh, the well. He he pulled it out and he uh he was uh yeah, he, he was really uh, reaching there. But um anyway, so how long of a program is that for marine biology? I mean, is that is that uh, I mean, is that like a PhD type of program? Do you have to pretty much give up six years of your life after college?
1: No. So I have my bachelor's. The program I was in was four years. But what was really unique about that program in particular is it kind of gave you a good idea of how all of the different sciences work together. So you looked at water chemistry, you looked at physical oceanography, you studied the currents you, you know, you studied how everything came together. So you had a really good overall idea of how the ocean works and all of the ecosystems. And then, you know, as you got into your third and fourth year, a lot of people kind of had an idea of what they wanted to do and they were able to narrow down their focus. So mine, like I said, I did a lot of oyster restoration and shoreline projects. Um, I did a lot with water quality and how, you know, runoff, from coastal areas goes and affects the local shoreline and the water quality there
0: you know i really wanted to become a, a marine biologist myself and um i think my freshman year in college i took a, a biology class and i'm like "Ooh, this stuff is a little uh a little tough so uh i went a different route I, I still was a science major and i was like studying uh climatology and i, I thought about doing graduate work and, and that sort of thing but um I know. I uh I ended up going to uh graduate school for communications and business, so you know, really didn't pursue that science uh, degree after after college. But uh hey here I'm back in sort of back into uh the thing here doing with reap tanks and what have you, so I got I'm getting yeah. my getting my fill. Um so let's let's talk about um, you know, Oh, John Reeve of Vermont. Thank you so much for that uh, super chat. That's his. Uh, he says my my tuition fee. <laughs> appreciate that, man. Really, uh, really appreciate that. So let's let's talk about uh, you and I have something in common. We're both doing some collaborations with Marine Depot on some videos, right? Can you uh can, yep. can you talk about what you're doing for Marine Depot in terms of those video collaborations?
1: Sure. So Actually, that, that's been a really cool thing when we started talking, they're like, hey, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, you know, a lot of my interests are more towards conservation, but that might not be what their audience is. And I was like, you know what I don't see a lot of is species profiles for different types of fish. I mean, I've worked at a couple of different local fish stores. So I've got a lot of hands-on experience with a lot of different species and, you know, stuff that your average hobbyist, you know, you, know, you probably have a lot more experience than most people But, you know, I figured that the experiences that I have, like the little tips and tricks that I've learned along the way, you know, I wish that somebody had been there for me in the beginning to show me and teach me all of those things. So I'm trying to create content with Marine Depot that kind of teaches people all of those, you know, a good overall vision and idea of different types of fish.
0: Yeah. And
1: different sorts of invertebrates as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really interesting. You're just kind of doing some deep dives on the different um, species and and I think it would be really interesting to kind of have a dialogue about you know some of those different species and again folks when we um, talking about all this stuff certainly encourage you to to ask Hillary some questions about um, you know in terms of the uh, keeping the fish and and, and what have you but let's start with butterfly fish. I love (laughs) pyramid butterfly fish because they at least for me are reef safe. They, I've, I've had them in a, in a few different of my tanks and I've got, uh, I've got four right now in, in my new reef tank. Love them. I just, um, I, I, they, they kind of like school together and they're really cool and interesting oh. types of fish. But, um, yeah, can you talk about, you know, butterfly fish and, and, um, you know, others that may, may or may not be reef safe. I think the majority <laughs> of them are not reef safe, right?
1: Yeah. You know, that's one thing, like so many people love butterfly fish, but when you look at them overall as a group and as a genus, when you look at them in the wild, they primarily are hanging out on those reef ecosystems. And a lot of their natural diet is going to come from eating corals, which is why they're relatively difficult to keep in home aquariums, especially, you know, people want them in their reef tanks, but Fowler tank is probably the better way to go. So. You know, it's it's interesting how that works. But yeah, the pyramid butterflies are a good one that, you know, can be reef safe. And, you know, it's interesting, too. So, like, the long nose butterfly or the copper band butterfly, those are another few popular ones. And people put them in the tank to eat Aptasia. But if you think about it, um, there's always the potential for them to go after, like, little bits of coral that you might not necessarily want them to or... Have intended for them to.
0: Right, you know, it, can it be hit or miss? Does it just kind of depend on the fish itself in terms of whether they're going to be going after corals, or is it the majority of those fish will nip?
1: A majority of them are going to go after corals, and I'm, I'm glad you said. Is it like it depends on the fish? I think this is something that I would. Love, I should be talking about in all of these marine depot videos. I think every fish can be its own unique individual personality because. You know you can say hey these fish are supposed to behave like this this you know they're gonna fit a b c d but you could have that one fish that doesn't hit any of those traits or characteristics and just does its own thing and you know has a taste for coral when it when it's not supposed to be so
0: Right. You know, that's that's always the rub in terms of the fish that um, folks love to keep in, in reef tanks in terms of whether or not you roll the dice, so to speak, there to, to kind of have that fish, you know, in, in a tank with corals. I'm um, just looking at some of the chat comments here. Um, Dustin Metz, shout out to the North Carolina LFS in Charlotte. OK,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I think I'm supposed to be speaking at one of their club meetings in the next month.
0: There you go. Uh, YouTube reefer is asking a question. I actually had this question, uh, YouTube reefer on my list of questions to ask, but we'll, uh, we'll pivot and ask your question right now and then we'll get back into the species specific conversation. But, um, this person is wondering, you know, being a scientist, how do you feel about the Hawaiian collection shutdown?
1: You know, it's really, it's a tricky thing. Like, I'm torn because I feel like the reason it's being shut down is a very emotional, it's it's turned into like an emotional fight and people are using feelings to fight science because there's so much science there that backs, you know, all of these species that are being collected, that are being aquacultured, um, you know, it's not at a detrimental impact to the environment. And, you know, I think you guys touched on this last week, you know, you can go and find these same fish that people want to keep in their aquariums for sale at the local market for like four bucks. But you know, yeah. (laughs) So yes, I, I'm very frustrated by that, but I think because I like to try and find the silver lining and things, um, I like to hope that as a hobby, we're going to use this as a push to further um, more of those captive bred species that are, you know, not available now, but Hey, there's no better time than now to go ahead and get started on
0: that. Yeah. You know, it's just because you're referring to the conversation last week that um, I had met uh, Peterson on as a, and as a guest and, and we're talking about the Hawaiian shutdown. And uh, it just seems like the um, the the lobbying efforts on the other side are, are really strong. And that's what's seemingly driving if I'm misstating this. So correct me. Miss miss. You know, that's really kind of driving the, uh, the the shutdown. And, um, I guess as, um, hobbyists and, and, in, in the aquarium trade, we could, um, you know, help support the, um, the other side in terms of the, uh, the, the, aquarium trade lobbying efforts. And, and, um, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's unfortunate. It's, it's a difficult situation. I, um, um, you know, in terms of the price of, of the fish, in terms of the Hawaiian fish, I, it's, it's, um, scary, but you know. Yellow tangs used to be a $40, $30 fish. Uh, yellow white coal tangs are a $400 fish now. It's uh, it's a little disturbing, to say the least.
1: It is.
0: Um, there was a
1: really good conversation. Oh, sorry.
0: No, go ahead. Was, Macna, I'm just looking at the chat here.
1: <laughs> say, um, MACNA last year had a really good panel and a really good conversation about it. And this was before they were shut down. But... Um, Kim and I can't remember her last name what is one of the people that I believe is in Hawaii I think she was in Hawaii at the time and she was one of the people that were fighting it and it it was really interesting how she was sharing that like she just feels like it's an emotional battle even though they've got science and evidence and stuff to back it up that the locals are they're attached to their fish and they don't want to let them go.
0: What what is the scientific, you know, community trying to do at this point in time in, in terms of you know trying to stand behind the science and just kind of point to the facts in terms of um, you know what the data shows in terms of the the uh, the impact on the, on the fish, but uh, as a group in terms of the scientists, what um, are you folks you know trying to do to to help this uh, situation?
1: You know, honestly, I it's talked about in frustration. I don't think I've heard. Or maybe I'm just not a part of those conversations of like what the general science community is doing. I would say I still I think it's broken down into trying to fight it, but also trying to further the efforts of you know, captive bred aquaculture fish.
0: Can this spread to other regions of, of you know, different oceans? How um, how likely do you think that, you know, is, is a possibility now that the Hawaiian shutdown is in place?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I, I hope that the chances are slim, but if it happened somewhere once, twice, you know, it happened to Indonesia, it, it could happen anywhere. So I think, I think it's really important for us as hobbyists to show the world and like to be putting back out there how important this is to us, how important these species are, how much we value it, how much we value the ecosystems and you know the natural habitats that these fish are coming from; these corals and these reefs are coming out of. And I think if if we can show that, then I think we might have a better fighting chance to keep things open. I hope I hope we do.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. So just uh, looking more at the uh, the chat. Hey, Greg Carroll, welcome back. Uh, the Herm fourteen is commenting about the copper bands. They um, Says, I have one copper band in each of my four tanks, clams and all, and no nipping yet. Fingers crossed about the, uh, the copper bands. I think another comment about the copper bands. Uh, Star City Reef has got a question. What's the best fish or invertebrates that eat bristle worms?
1: Um, there's a couple of different wrasse species that would go after them. Um, if you can have it, I would highly recommend arrow crabs. They are by far my favorite things to put in tanks for getting rid of bristle worms.
0: Are, are bristle worms, I mean, I, I have bristle worms in my uh, reef tank, and um, I mean, geez, some of them can get to be huge. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. Is, is the uh, is the jury still out in terms of whether or not a bristle worm is a uh, destructive force in a reef tank?
1: Um, I think if they're... a manageable like in my opinion i think if they're at a manageable level if you don't have like an overabundance of them i i think they're good they're detritivores they're going to eat all of the food waste um they're going to help to break down and get nutrients cycled in your tank so you know do i want to see them do i want to put my hands on them or accidentally have them wind up in my washing machine absolutely not no but i do think that they are a healthy part of any fowler or reef system
0: Manny Palma, thank you so much, man, for that super chat there. He says uh, two of my favorites with a couple of hearts and uh whatever that is, uh, hang loose uh, sign there. But uh, awesome, thank you, Manny. Thank you for uh, for tuning in. Um, YouTube reefer is wondering if that is a boxfish in your tank behind you. Beautiful fish, I've heard difficult to keep. I'm sure it's easy for a marine bi- biologist though. So what 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 do we got behind you there, Hillary?
1: So. I think he might be off screen right now, but Frank um, is a longhorn cowfish.
0: And I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, run the video here, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at your tank.
1: Yes, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> a- so Frank is a longhorn cowfish. Um, I've had him for about six and a half years. They're not an easy species to keep. Um, I really lucked out with him because I I've known a lot of people that have had them and haven't had a lot of success. Uh, one thing. People are maybe they don't do or hopefully they do more now is um feeding them vegetables and greens. Frank loves Nori. And I think a lot of people are like, oh no, they're they're meat eaters, they don't need any of the greens and veggies, but they absolutely do. So that's important. And they kind of if you've ever had pufferfish, pufferfish get really bored very easily. Um they can be destructive. Frank is the exact same way. You have to entertain him. Um, like he will follow you as you walk around the room. So uh, yeah, he's pretty cool
0: so we're uh yeah, we're looking at your tank and and um I think we're going to have a closer uh shot of of there there we go there's uh there's Frank closer up, man, what that is a cool looking fish that is such a cool looking fish. I mean, look at those lips going there back and forth, and the two eyes and and the horns sticking out of the uh the head there, man, nope. so cool. <laughs> How, how, how difficult are they to get um, – are, are they available for for sale in the aquarium trade pretty often, or are they hard to get?
1: Um, I see them often enough. Um, I don't know that a lot of people have success with them. One of the issues that they face is a lot of them, when you get them, are very susceptible to ick. Um, knock on wood, I was very lucky with Frank. He, he's he been sick a couple of times, but it's nothing I haven't been able to treat. He's never had ick. He's been a relatively hardy fish but a lot of them that are out there on the market are not um and one other thing i would say that this is a myth because i don't actually know in all the people that i've talked to that anybody's experienced this but they produce a toxin if they get stressed or threatened i believe that this a lot of times will happen on the verge of death and they'll just release this toxin and they get out tanks Ooh. uh Yeah. So I know a lot of people are afraid to keep them for that reason, but I think that's just a stress response that they, you know, just a terrible, horrific circumstance that they would release that.
0: I'm sorry if I missed this, but are, are, um, are they reef safe or no?
1: They are absolutely not reef safe.
0: Yeah. I guess by looking at those lips, it'll look like, uh, he, he could do some damage for, uh, for sure. Um, so look, you, you, you mentioned ick. So in, in a, in a fowler tank, I'm assuming that it's, it's easier to treat disease versus a reef tank, right?
1: Yes, it is. Um, you know, corals are very sensitive species. You know, a lot of medications that you would use to treat fish, they're not, uh, not reef safe, not invertebrate safe. Um, and you know, two, a lot of my favorite thing when it comes to treating fish is, just dropping your salinity, that in and of itself can have a huge, very helpful impact. But you can't do that if you've got corals. Corals would not appreciate <laughs> you dropping their salinity. So, um, yeah, it makes it a lot easier with a power tank if you're treating any sort of illnesses.
0: What? Um, so if, if somebody has a reef tank and they have to treat a fish, obviously you have to catch the fish. What? What? What's the best way, first of all, to catch a fish? I've... Um... I've seen different ways to do that. (laughs) I've actually used a, um, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I've I've in the past used a very, very tiny fly fishing hook with a piece of food on it. And, um, you know, I just make sure that I I hook the fish in the, uh, in the lips, but that, that seems to be a pretty, you know, I've I've had a lot of success doing that. I haven't heard a lot of other people doing that. So, you know, maybe I'm going to get flamed for that. But uh, what's what's really the best ways is, is fish traps. I mean, sometimes fish will not go in off fish trap.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's tricky. It's really hard. Moving slowly, I think, is probably the number one thing that I would recommend. Just go in there slowly. If you're going to use a net, um, this is something that when I worked at the local fish store, one of the ladies taught me is just if whatever net that you're going to use or nets plural, just stick them in the tank, let them sit in there for 15 or 20 minutes, come back and sit in front, like stand in front of the net for. A good bit of time and you know that way the fish won't necessarily associate the net as a bad thing and then once you actually start to use them move it very very slow um and try to create the least amount of stress as possible
0: all right well let's say the net doesn't work then what <laughs>
1: tough <work> container <laughs> <laughs> um i've never actually used like most of the times that i've had to catch fish in any of my jobs it's always been a, like you have to catch it we need it now yeah so fish traps haven't necessarily been an option but you know maybe like i've seen the ones like the little bowl with that's got the magnet on it and then you just like put the food in the bowl and just yeah. pull it away and goes to the top i always thought those would be cool to try but yeah I'm not actually also
0: acro breeder i use sab- sabiki hooks works well no harm to the uh to the fish um Maybe he's doing the same thing using the fish hooks, but yeah, I found that to be very effective. I mean, I, I do not go and, and try to get fish out too often. It's, it's a rare occasion when I'll have to do that, but uh, so, all right, you got the fish out and, um, what, what's, what's a, uh, is it good to have kind of like a temporary, um, you know, little tank set up for, for, you know, to, um, administer meds for fish and, and then we'll, um, we'll also kind of get into quarantining, but I'm just more interested in, in terms of your advice in, in, uh, treating a fish that's, you know, sick in a, in a reef tank.
1: Um, I, I would always recommend having a quarantine tank set up. Um, that way, you know, any new tank that you set up, you're going to have to cycle it. So if you already have something set up and ready, you can just put, you know, make sure that your water parameters are matched Um, and then you're able to just stick the fish in there, drip acclimate them, put them in there, um, and then that makes it so much easier to treat them. If you don't have a tank set up, um, any spare tank that you might have, if you're able to pull out live rocks, um, depending if you have a tank that has any of um, like the foam pads that are in there that are in your filtration, those are a good way to uh, help get that cycle going so that the fish isn't Having any adverse effects of being in a brand new
0: tank, right? So there's, I guess, there's a couple of different ways you can go. You you can you could essentially have a uh, a separate quarantine tank, you know, that's constantly running. And um, what what would that ideal quarantine tank look like in in your mind? What what um, would be the bare minimum, like the size and and I mean, you mentioned having some live rock and and uh, what, what would you say is kind of like a good basic quarantine tank? for fish
1: um personally i like to have you know i had a it was like 30 gallon it was like a bio cube 32 maybe i i used to use that for my personal quarantine but you know at work we used to use 10 gallon tanks um with like the sponge filter now when i say live rock just live rock before you put the fish in you don't want live rock in there while you're medicating or anything because that'll kill any of that but just to get that beneficial bacteria and that cycle going just to make sure that it's a good environment for your fish to go in especially if it's sick you don't want to risk getting them more stressed out than they already are
0: right so if um if you want if you want kind of like a quarantine tank so pretty much you're 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 medicating every fish that's going in there right you're you're administering some basic uh medication to kind of nip anything in the bud, right, in terms of making sure that it is disease-free. What what, what are some of the uh, medications that you would recommend, you know, in terms of a quarantine tank, and and uh, or does it depend on the fish?
1: Um, sometimes it does depend on the fish. One thing that I would recommend, and I think this is good and safe for any fish, it's been a while since I've looked at the packets, um, Blue Life USA makes these products. It's a little two-part thing, um, and it's got instructions on the back. It takes almost an hour and a half to do it, but it's a double dip, Um, and that helps with a lot of different things. So if I have to quarantine a fish, I'm probably going to put it through that dip first, and then I'm going to put it in the quarantine tank, and then I will go ahead and most times I'm going to drop the salinity. Um, It's funny. I was having a conversation with people about this the other day. Um, When I say drop the salinity, 1.015, like, low, not like far lower than our reef tanks are going to be, it's scary, but the fish can handle it. And a lot of times the parasites and those pests that the fish are being plagued by not handle it. Um, So it'll, you know, help the fish, the fish can handle it. And then you'll slowly be able to bring that fish back up to salinity when your treatment's done. But another product that I found very helpful, and this is just for certain products, uh, it's called Quick Cure, I think Maerdel makes it it makes a mess (laughs) it's like bright blue if it splashes and gets on your wall just plan on painting (laughs) Mm,
0: well that's not good um so certain online vendors do quarantine their fish and i think um perhaps others may not i don't have any evidence but um I personally do not have a fish quarantine tank. I, you know, I, I, I wish I, I did have one set up. But um, are there any um, online vendors out there that, um, you know, and I don't know if you have to uh, name names or whatnot. But are are there like kind of like the the online vendors that are doing it right versus others that are not? And um, you know, I guess what's the percentage out there that are quarantining their fish? to, to the point where we can, you know, be, um, comfortable. I mean, I, I've, I've dealt with a couple of, um, online vendors, one in particular that, um, you know, has a very rigorous quarantining process, but you know, their fish are more expensive, but I am, you know, willing to pay that extra money because I don't have a quarantine tank at home.
1: You know, honestly, like there are some, like you said, there are places online that say that they quarantine. Um, it's really hard. It's a lot of like, wholesalers in particular are very i don't know they don't they don't like to share a lot of what they do so it's hard to know you know i assume everybody's quarantining but even you know the best people that quarantine like these places you're talking about that you know they they quarantine the fish have a guarantee when they come the the stress that the fish go through when it comes to being handled to be packaged um traveling any sort, you know, they're going to be hanging out in a bag for 24 to 48 hours or however long before they even got to that wholesaler when they were captured in the ocean, like just a stressful overall experience. So I I think stress can play a huge role. And even if it is like the best quarantine fish, you can always still have issues. So yeah, I I didn't really answer your question, but
0: I'm not even sure what my question was. (laughs) No, I think there was a question in there somewhere, I think.
1: I would say um, if you have like a local fish store that quarantines or if you're buying your fish locally, I would say you probably are, might be a little bit safer than, say, getting stuff online just because you're taking out that factor that the fish aren't going to have to travel. You know, I mean, we've had cold spells and stuff. I, I keep hearing horror stories about people um, and their shipments got stuck. And, uh, you know, so. If you can find somebody local that will quarantine and ask you can ask to see a local fish store's quarantine system. Don't don't be afraid to ask. Oh um, really. I, yeah. I'm I used to work at a local fish store and um their quarantine system, like knowing what I know now, I don't necessarily know that I would go back and purchase. Um, you know, but other other places have very rigorous standards, um, tanks when you, when you look for stuff, make sure that the tank systems aren't tied together. You want quarantine tanks to be on their own system. That way, you know, if a fish three tanks down is sick, you know whatever your fish is in whatever tank that's in, it's not going to be getting all of those other things that are passed down the line.
0: What, what is a, um, a sufficient period to quarantine a fish? Is it 30 days? Is it more than 30 days?
1: Personally, I like to do 30 to 45, but I know a lot of people will only do 14 days. Um, I've worked in public aquariums and their quarantine period is 45 days. They have to, you know, they sit for uh, a week and a half to two weeks before they even get medication because they want to be, they want, we want to observe the fish and see, you know, do we need to treat? um, If we need to treat, what do we need to treat for? So you don't want to just be like dumping medications in there. You might not need to treat, but. Never know what's going to show up in three weeks versus what you're seeing present time.
0: Haha, ha, reef keeper, come on, keep just take a private jet like Mark uh, Callahan and pick up your fish. Laugh out loud. Ha ha. Uh, so the Herm fourteen has a uh, inter- interesting uh, question related to what you were just talking about there, Hillary. Uh, question: Don't parasites stay dormant even though through a quarantine stage and in copper in some cases? Then when the fish slash um, Surgeon, tang, stresses in the home aquarium, it breaks out with ick and, and whatnots. Is, um, is is there truth to what the Herm 14 is saying there?
1: Yes. Um, I If your tank or your system has ever had ick in it, unless you've broken that sucker down and bleached all of the components of it, there's a good chance that there's still ick in there. And even if you do treat ick as one of those things that stress i mean it can be as simple or like silly as like the lights flickering for a power outage um and that can stress your fish out and that can bring it back so yeah
0: Just i you know i'm i'm knocking on wood here i've had really good luck in terms of um you know ick with my fish and my reef tanks i had a bad incident uh about a week and a half ago i lost i lost almost 50 percent of my fish in my uh my new 225 gallon peninsula tank due to a uh a, um, a dosing accident, which I never thought possible would, would be possible. But uh, I had a big loss, but um, the rest of the fish are fine. But I've had really, really good luck in terms of with my reef tanks and fish not having ick. So is, is a more established reef tank going to be a, a better environment, a safer environment? Is it um, kind of, uh, are the fish building up some sort of immunity? to disease in a well-established reef tank, or can you add a fish to that well-established reef tank that would come in with a parasite or ick, what have you, and then spread it to all the fish in the tank? I mean, I've never had that experience, but is, is that, um, is, you know, what, what kind of, um, I guess, uh, risk is there to infecting your whole tank due to a uh, fish that brings in something else?
1: There's always a risk that your whole tank is going to break out. I like to think that more established systems um, are, like you said, you've had a lot of success. They're going to be a lot more hardy. And two, um, that can be contributed to, you know, if you think about in the ocean, there's all of these things going on and like different types of bacteria and organisms that you probably can't even see that contribute to that healthy reef, reef ecosystem. And I've heard this a lot that, reef tanks, especially well-established ones, they have a lot of those components that you're already seeing versus say, you know, a Fowler tank. I don't, I don't have all the bells and whistles on this tank. You know, I take good care of it, but it's not going to be the same as say a reef tank. So, you know, I think there is something to be said that having a well-established stress, stress-free, I think. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> um, stress-free environment uh, will help to reduce the risk of that.
0: Yeah, John Reefer of Vermont uh, is commenting, I have a 55-gallon um, QT tank that's currently housing, three yellow tangs, one Tamini and one Foxface. Got them from TSM Aquatics. I had some great experience from those guys as well. And they quarantine fish, but he says he is still quarantining them for eight weeks and he's using mollies. Okay. What, uh, I, you know, I don't understand in terms of the using the, uh, the mollies. Can you um, shed some light on using mollies in a quarantine tank?
1: Um, I assume when you say the mollies, uh, using them to cycle a tank, uh, a lot, you know, fish in cycle versus a fishless cycle. I know, you know, you can add, I think Dr. Tims has it, Fritz has it, you know, the bacteria that you pour in there. But if you don't want to do that, you can just add the mollies and then they help the mollies pieces of like shrimp or there's a whole bunch of different things that people use.
0: Yeah. John is saying, um, yeah, can you speak yeah. to the benefits of using freshwater mollies? I'm using five black ones and so far nothing has shown up. I'm not medicating yet and we'll start next week. So far the fish look awesome. So I'm assuming that uh, he's basically saying that the mollies are acting as kind of a canary in a coal mine. You'll, you'll they can. See, you'll, you'll see the disease first in them.
1: Um, You know, I haven't actually used them, but I... I'm familiar with using them in the sense to cycle a tank. Um, but because mollies are one of those fish that can be freshwater and saltwater, So you put them in um, and they can help to cycle the tank before you would put in your more expensive fish. I may, I may be on a different page, but that's my interpretation.
0: So uh, Matthew uh, Sherman, and uh, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, Matthew, I was under the impression it was in every tank and the, she's immune system was what kept it at bay. Is that not true? It can,
1: so that's when I say stress plays a huge role in it. Um, the immune system—if you get stressed out, you think you know. If you and I are very sick, um, or you know, we're stressed out. Our immune system is going to be lower. It's the same sort of concept with fish. Um, it can be caused by a bunch of different things, but I feel, for the most part, I feel like on average, a lot of times when it pops up in systems, it can pop up because it's been triggered by a stress event.
0: So a question that's popped up a couple of times in chat is, um, bacteria in a bottle and, and the New York fish guy, Felix Miranda is, is asking this question. And, uh, we also had deep reef, um, talk about, uh, you know, can we talk about adding bacteria to establish tanks? And so essentially the question is what is your take on buying bacteria in a bottle for cycling a new system? Is it worth the effort and the money?
1: Personally, yes. Um, I, that's how I have cycled all of my tanks, but a lot of it, you know, it's entirely up to preference whether or not you want to do it. Um, I, like I said, I personally like it. I think when I mentioned, you know, earlier, if you look at a wild reef, there's going to be all sorts of different types of bacteria in there that help to make a healthy, you know, ecosystem. I like to, I've, I've compared this to like you see the commercials for Activia and they're like, oh yeah, the good bacteria in your gut, it helps to you know, add that to the tank. So you think that it would already be existing in the wild. Why would I not want to put it back into my tank?
0: So what about um, the dry rock versus the uh, the live rock? I'm assuming that we're talking about bacteria in a bottle because we're, we're starting a tank with um, dry rock versus live rock. If you're using live rock, then you don't have to worry about that bacteria in a bottle, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's how I started my, uh, my new tank. And, um, I've talked about this ad nauseum. I had a really bad experience with the dry rock only tank starting that up. So I went back to using a live rock and I am very happy with that choice. Um, but yeah. Um, so another, um, question from, um, Paula and this is sort of related. Let's talk bacteria diversity. Uh, Hillary, can, can you speak to that in terms of um, you know, bacteria in a reef tank and, uh, you know, is it wise to kind of play around with the bacteria in a reef tank, uh, an established reef tank if, if, um, you know, you, you feel the need.
1: That's, That's tricky. So I would say if your reef tank is established, if you're not messing with the bacteria, if you're not already doing stuff with the bacteria, I wouldn't change something that's working, but, you know, maybe if you noticed stuff, like, you know, if you notice that something's off or it's not working, keep the bacteria in mind, don't, you know, I, I mentioned Dr. Tim's and I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, I, I put it in Frank's tank, I put it in my reef tank just to replenish the supply. Like if, you know, they've died or, you know, stuff like that, that I'm putting it back into that ecosystem to try and do as good of a job as replicating it. What,
0: um, what do you recommend in terms of testing to know whether or not you've got, you know, a sufficient supply of bacteria, whether you've got the good versus the bad bacteria? That's
1: an excellent question. I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) I will have to look that up and get back to you. I don't know if there's a way to test it. Um, I'm sure there is. I don't know if there's like a commercially available way.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that I always don't feel terribly comfortable messing with, you know, and, um, it's you know I guess say hey, we're talking about science, right? You need the data to kind of like back up any uh, any decisions you make and that's always a better thing to uh, to have behind you. Um, so we got some other comments here. Uh, the Herm 14 never had a problem with dry rock. Curb C seems to be my choice Or do seed my tank with old live rock in the sump. So I guess that's um, that's a good kind of hybrid approach. Um, Jason Langer bottle bacteria can help, but nothing replaces the wider spectrum of the bacteria and microfauna that comes with the farmed live rock here, here, Jason. I, um, I'm 100% behind that. Um, yes, Paula pal, there are commercial testing available right now for the, uh, for the bacteria. I, I we talked about this on, 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 prior shows and I can't recall the name of the, uh, the test. I think, um, talking about that with Michael Paletta and, and, uh, one other guest we we're talking about, but, uh, yeah, you know, and it's not apparently not terribly expensive, to um to 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 run those tests to see kind of like what what you got in terms of the bacteria and, and um the um forget the uh the wording but they're you know the good versus the bad bacteria. So let's um let's kind of pivot back into these um species uh discussions here in terms of the species specific discussions. We talked about butterfly fish. I love angelfish. I love having angelfish in a um, in a reef tank, and there's some angelfish that are reef safe, right? And then there's some that are sure. not supposed to be reef safe, but folks do keep the uh, supposed non-reef safe angelfish in reef tanks successfully, and it does depend in terms of the individual. But um, what would what would you say are some you know solid reef safe angelfish that you could add to a reef tank with not losing too much sleep in terms of what they might go after.
1: Um, I would say, uh, like the Bellis angels, um, the Lamarx angel, those are probably pretty good bets, um, on stuff to add a lot of times. And I've heard this both ways. A lot of the dwarf angels that you can get, those are supposed to be reef safe. I've heard people that have had problems, but I've also, like I said, heard people that have kept them with no issues whatsoever. So, um, yeah, but the bells is supposed to be fairly good bet, and they're I, I think they're pretty. They're like delicate and
0: they're really cool. I've um, I've had a female, right? Those are the the smaller. The females are, are smaller, or is it, do I have it wrong? Is that the male that's the smaller one and the more colorful one is the uh, the kind of um, really cool blue and um, stripes. Anyway, those 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 are really cool. I've never had a pair. I've only had I guess the um, the female. But um, I love Jap- Japanese mass swallowtail angelfish. Those are um, those are reef safe as well. I've never had luck though. I've always put in, you know, I've had a couple of times where I put in a trio of mass swallowtail angelfish, hoping that one would turn male, and I've never had success doing that. Is is that the best way to do that in terms of the mass swallowtail angelfish, or or any kind of species of um, you know angelfish that you're trying to like? have one of them turn sex from a uh, female to male. That's what I've been told, that if you put in a trio, then chances are one will become dominant and turn male.
1: You know, I haven't heard that about Angelfish before. It's an excellent...
0: Well, then I wasted yeah, a lot of money trying to do that because uh, I oh. flamed out twice when I attempted to do that. No, I've, I've heard that, you know, and um, but I don't know if there's any... You know, I haven't seen that work Personally, but apparently it it, um, it has um, um, can be effective. The um, the other now so now we're talking. About, okay, so the the other types of angelfish are the ones that um, you know are on the fence. And regal angelfish are probably my favorite favorite um, angelfish. And I had one in my old 225 gallon tank years ago. That was pretty much a model citizen. It was a SPS dominant tank, and I, you know, I had some some LPS in there. I think I even had some clams in there that he didn't he didn't pick on. He didn't pick on the uh, the SPS. I think there might have been some LPS that uh, that, that Regal was um, was picking on. And um, anyway, so for my new tank, I I, I, uh, I scored a um, a very young Regal angelfish, and I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I, you know, I, I heard and I don't I don't know if you have any insight on this, but I've heard that um, It's probably better to add a um, An angelfish that's questionable to a more established um, reef tank versus one that um, you're just putting frags in Meaning that if it's gonna be picking at the polyps on frags, it's gonna do more damage versus a big established colony. So I I you know, I kind of like saw I had an opportunity to get this uh regal angelfish it's it's a beautiful it's a miss bar which you know those are kind of rare so i hopped all over it and i, and I put it in the tank and and i i still don't have any corals and uh jake adams if he's uh, listening is going to uh, be all over me for that but uh, very soon very soon but so i kind of did it in reverse of the way i wanted to do it but um, i don't know and does that sound logical in terms of probably adding something that um, might be a coral nipper to a more established tank versus one with just frags.
1: Yeah, I can see that. one thing that I I like the idea of in, in any tank is especially when you get them, dedicate a lot of time to feeding them and feeding them well so that you know, I, I've talked fish can be trained. So if you when you first get it, if you're like, all right, here's some food, here's some food, here's some food. It you know, it might not be as inclined to go after your corals at all because like, Oh, Hey, I know if I'm hungry, this is what I need to do. I need to go up to this certain point or at this certain time I'm going to get bed. So.
0: Uh, I just noticed something here. Chris C. Uh, University of South Carolina, marine science grad here. Um, greetings from South Carolina. Welcome Chris. C. Howdy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason Langer. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have the, uh, G, uh, C- I can't pronounce that (laughs) I think you're talking about my Japanese mass swallowtail. the scientific name I you know I'm not even gonna attempt to uh, pronounce that Um, what there was another uh, Star City Reef had good success with coral beauties I've never tried a coral beauty there those are uh, pretty cool fish I know a lot of people like to um, put flame angels in a uh, in a reef tank Um, gorgeous gorgeous red fish and I've always Beautiful. I've been very tempted, but I've heard again, you know, some people have success in a reef tank with those things and others just find them to be uh, coral nippers. So I've I've never attempted one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tricky how they work. Like some people they do, and others they don't.
0: Um let's let let's let's uh let's move on from angelfish to wrasses. I'm a, I'm a big mm-hmm. ras person. I love um, keeping rasses in a um, in a reef tank. What um what what are your thoughts in terms of keeping a ras in a bare bottom tank? Now, right, a lot of a lot of rasses require sand, but some folks report that they can you know have luck keeping them if they have like a little bin of sand oh, yeah. behind the the rock. Is is that something where a ras will be happy enough with that sort of setup?
1: Um, that's, that's hard to say. I know people that have done that. And when that was one of the things that we used to do in the local fish stores, we would have the little container of sand for them to burrow in. Um, I think you can get away with that. Um, I think if you have a bare bottom tank, you need to make sure that you've got a lot of space for them to hide. Rasses are one of those types of fish. Like any of them can get under the sand if they want to, and a lot of times it's a stress response. If they're scared, if you know, they're just added to a tank, they want to feel safe and comfortable. So if they have other hiding spots in the tank, um, if you have the rock work structured in a way that they can get away from everybody else, you might be okay with it. Personally, and this is just my preference, I like to have a sand bottom in the tank if, I, if I've got wrasses. Um, it does make it a little tricky if you put them in there, and it is one of those burrowing rasses, their lives and our lives. Yeah. You know, I've had some that go down in the sand, and I don't see them for several days, and I write them off as dead. The next thing you know, you are like, oh, hey, I guess it's not dead. Just look around.
0: Yeah. What um what would you say in terms of um there's some rasses that are very very um you know expert only, um, types of folks that should should keep rasses. I've had um I love leopard rasses. I have a uh, chayote mm. ras in my um, 187 gallon tank. It's it's a beautiful um, ras. It's it's a, it's it's not a cheap fish, but you know apparently they're really hard to keep. And um, I've um, had some good luck with them, but I don't really see myself doing anything differently than than what I normally do with the other fish that I um, you know take care of. Are, when, when somebody is, um, you know, classifying a fish, is a very difficult to keep fish and expert only? What, what, uh, what would you, what, what does that look like in terms of an expert care? I mean, is it just in terms of what you're feeding the fish? I mean, what, what is, it, is it a dietary thing? Um, you know, how, how can um, uh, like an average reefer kind of graduate and, um, you know, step it up a notch to keep it more, um, expert only advanced type of fish. Is, is there any special things to consider?
1: I think there's a bunch of different factors and it. I think too, it depends on the type of fish. So, you know, it could be expert only and that you, know, you have to be way on top of your water quality. You've got to make sure that those parameters are right where they're supposed to be because whatever that species is doesn't um, take kindly to any sort of fluctuations. It could be, you know, they require a very specific live diet. It could be, um, you know, where they're from in the wild. It's different than the parameters that we typically keep our tanks at, and that could make it an expert. So I think that depends on the type of fish, not necessarily how much experience you have, but just certain aspects of that fish's life.
0: What, what about a diet just for fish in general? What, um, what types of foods should, should people be, uh, thinking about in terms of keeping their fish, you know, happy, healthy. And, um, you know, there's other foods also, but I'll, 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 save this part of the question after you answer the other part of the question. But, um, what, what are some good feeds that folks should be, um, uh, thinking about, I've, I've heard, um, brine shrimp is, is kind of like very candy like to a fish, but, um, there, there's not a lot of nutritional value. Is, is that true?
1: Yes, um, you know it's funny that you say this, and I don't want to give away too much because I actually have a video coming out really soon. It should be on the Marine Depot. It's one of the new series. Oh, oh, I, ju- I about... jumped the
0: gun. Sorry about that, Manny. <laughs> you,
1: didn't, you didn't even know. Oh, you didn't even to know. How, okay. to read, how to read a fish food label and then fish nutrition in general. But I will say um, you want to keep in mind the type of fish that you have. Like what? Like do a little bit of research. You should always do research before you're buying a fish. But look at what it is naturally doing out in the wild. Is it an omnivore, is it a carnivore, herbivore? You know, you want to find a diet or a food, multiple foods that keep that in mind. So say if you've got tangs, maybe get something that's got a lot of vegetables in it. Or, you know, if you have clownfish and you're trying to get them to reproduce, you're gonna wanna have something that's got a little bit more fat and a little bit more protein in it for them. So. A lot of times it just depends on the type of fish, but you know, I think, and again, this is me personally, I like New Life Spectrum. They've got a couple of different pellet foods that are fairly well-rounded and well-received by all of the fish in my tanks. Um, I like, they have Fair A. I think that's a really good one. Algae Max is one that I feed regularly and um, their probiotics blend is a good one, but I also do frozen foods. I like to have Frank's um, Fun Fish Food Friday, where he gets a little bit of frozen food that's got some vitamins and stuff in it, just to switch things up and vary his diet.
0: You mentioned vitamins. What's uh, what's a good product out there that uh, we could um, use? It? Like Vitacam, is that uh, something that is a, uh, a good good product for fish in terms of vitamins?
1: So, like, a lot of this stuff depends on personal preference. I use Vitacam. We actually used to use that at the public aquarium. Um, personally, I like to use the Brightwell products. I've been using Brightwell Vitamarin C and Vitamarin M for years. Um, sometimes I'll use their, I never say this, Amino, amino Omega as <laughs> a tongue twister. Um, but that one is a really good thing that I'll put, that's one of the things that I soak my foods in on Fridays and um sometimes a little bit of garlic extract
0: yeah i was going to ask you garlic extract that seems to be uh, mentioned a lot by folks i i um i have a uh, sometimes i make my own homemade fish food so i'll just throw a whole bunch of different things in there you know i'll put in mice shrimp brine shrimp um um, a whole bunch of cheap seafood from the uh, from the supermarket. Which uh, you know, I wanted to ask you: is is that uh, is that a good idea? Or should should that be something that we should be concerned about? I mean, it's got a lot of iodine in it. I believe there's um, some seafoods that are high in that. Um, is that something that uh, if you're making your own homemade fish food slash coral food, that you should be careful about using cheap seafood from a supermarket?
1: Um, I think this and this is the one thing that I look for when I buy the cheap seafood. Um. Just make sure that whatever it is that you're buying doesn't have any additives. Like, you know, some of the stuff you can get frozen in the grocery store is going to come with like butter and all sorts of like weird stuff. Don't ever put that in your tank. But if it's just the basic all natural things, I think that you're probably good to go. What about
0: coloration of fish? You know, there's, there's some products out there that, um, apparently enhance the the color of fish. Do you, do you believe in those and and do you use those for your, for your fish in your tanks?
1: Um, I do believe in them. I think I'm saying this. Axazanthin is a very hard one to say. That is a lot of what causes the color in fish. Um, in the wild, like a lot of times you can get that from shrimp. Um, there's some companies, I think marigold flowers or marigold flower petals is something that's put in fish foods to help color up fish. I do think that it is helpful Um you know, to just make your fish's colors pop, just give them that little bit extra. There's actually a food right now that I've been trying. Um, I think NIOS makes it. It's got wild goji berries in it. But again, it's got, it's supposed to have that extra pop to make the reds and the pinks and the oranges pop out. But as you can see, I'm not going to tell much of a difference on Frank and his yellow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so, folks, we're at the uh, we're at the top of the hour. And uh, just want to remind you, if you have any questions for, for Hillary, just uh, ask away in the uh, in the chat. I, um, I have some more questions uh, myself. I see we've got some comments here about um, some folks agreeing with you about uh, Brightwell using Brightwell um, in terms of go ahead.
1: I thought of another thing about right. Well, um, vitamin C. So this is, this is one tip and I'll give you before the videos come out. If you've got fish food, like the pellet food or the flake foods, um, those, the vitamins will evaporate or some of them will evaporate. So you need to be adding back vitamin C to those foods. Um, so if you've had it open for, um, flake food, I think for more than three months and pellet food for about believe six months, um, you know, you buy the giant containers and i've got three fish i don't go through them so before i feed i put a little bit of that back in so they're still going to get those uh vitamins
0: gotcha so that's something Uh, blue reef mentions uh lrs foods is very good and uh yeah i would agree i've I've used um that stuff it seems very clean which is good you know so should i not be feeding mysis uh shrimp or is that an okay thing to do as long as i'm feeding other things to my fish
1: As long as you're feeding other things, if you, like, maybe making that, like, the strict, full, all-you-feed diet, not so much a good idea. But if you're feeding that in addition to other things, I think you're okay.
0: What about if I'm just feeding that with mysa shrimp? Is that that a good combination?
1: (laughs) Uh, Maybe add some other stuff into that mix.
0: How about nori? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'm just you know. Hey, listen, I got I got an expert on 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 the show here. I got to like uh, try to find out what's going on with my stuff too. You know, I mean, yeah, folks out there watching have your questions, but I got my questions too. You know, there's a reason behind my questions. <laughs> it's all selfish reasons. Um, reef keeper, yeah, I love my LRS Reef Frenzy, great product. Let's um let's talk about um, tanks. So <clears throat> I always like to you know have. A crew of tangs in my reef tanks, just because they're great herbivores, right? Um, What um, I've kind of seen different information out there about this, but um, and I've had different success, uh, you know, here and there in terms of adding new tangs to a tank that already has tangs. And tang tank, I got to really enunciate here, but um, so if if you have a tang with a similar body type to one that's already in the tank, then you run a risk, right? Of, of there being some, um, some, some bullying going on. And what I mean is, is, um, I guess again, maybe it just depends on the individual fish, right? I mean, the rule of thumb I always try to follow is try to add them all together, but sometimes that doesn't work out.
1: Yeah. I, Always the best idea to add them all together. Again, like I said, it doesn't necessarily always work out. Um, Add them in groups if you're gonna add, you know, if you have your primary group of tangs already in there and then you wanna add more, get more, like if you can get more than one, if you have enough space in your tank to get more than one, Um, add more than one, that way it's gonna reduce the risk of bullying for those. Um, One of the rules of thumb that I love is that you can mix different body shapes so in some of the marine depot videos i talk about the circular versus the oval shaped so if you mix the different body shapes of tanks you're going to have a higher success rate of them getting along and if you're going to add more than one do you know three four multiples so you know if there is picking or bullying it's kind of distributed amongst the group it's not just one fish that's always getting beat up on
0: right So I always had this dream, you know, when I was kind of planning out my new tank to have a shoal, a big group of yellow tanks. And so a couple things happened. One, the whole Hawaiian thing happened. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be having a whole shoal of $400 per per fish, yellow tanks in that tank, because that's crazy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, before that happened, I had kind of like read mixed reviews about that being a, a thing that you can do is um, again is it just kind of depends on the size of the tank. If you have a big enough tank that you you would be able to add it, just a group of one type of tang together. Is that is that um, low risk?
1: I would say, I think as long as you have enough space. I think you should be fine. Um, actually, I just saw a video on Instagram the other day, and granted this was at a public aquarium, so they had a ton of space, but um, my friend was trying to take a video of a shark and you just see this whole like group of yellow tanks back and forth like in front and like, wow, that's a lot. And I, I don't know how big that size tank was, but having enough space always helps. I think, I think having large enough space, a lot of the rules, rules, or keeping different groups of fish together that might necessarily not get along. Um, you know, as you get bigger tanks, those rules kind of yeah. fall to the wayside. I guess it's a
0: really cool thing. Hey, uh, Matthew, uh, Sherman, thank you so much for the super chat. The comment here is thanks for the live shows, Keith. They have been the Yoda to my Skywalker. <laughs> awesome. But- so, um, Palop uh, Paula Pal has a couple of, um, comments slash uh, questions here. And I, actually this was a question that I forgot to ask you when we we're talking about food. And um, is it a good idea to rinse frozen food before feeding?
1: Um, you can, it, it depends. So like say those frozen foods that come that like have a lot of like the fats and stuff like that. If you, again, I'm going to use clownfish. If you've got clownfish that you're trying to get to reproduce and you need them to have that, then rinsing, you might not want to rinse because you might want them to get a little bit more of that. But if you know you're, you don't have those purposes and you know every time that you feed, that's going to cloud up your tank like crazy, then yeah, give it a little bit of rinse. But just make sure you're not rinsing too much because you don't want to get rid of all of the nutrients that are in that food.
0: The other question from um, Paula Pal, Paula is, any thoughts on phosphate considerations from food and its overall effect on tank parameters?
1: Oh, that's good one. That's interesting. Um, so I think all food is going to have some amount of phosphate in it. It's interesting. I saw, um, I don't remember who posted it the other day, but they were, they did a phosphate reading on a piece of nori. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like way through the roof. Like, that, that's part, like that's where phosphates in your tank come from. They're going to come from food. So I think it's a little bit, you know, Far-reaching to want to find a food that doesn't have phosphates in there. It's going to have it, um, so just stay on top of it. Don't overfeed. That should like reduce any issues that you might have of phosphates coming. What would,
0: would rinsing it reduce the um, the amount of phosphate that you potentially could be introducing if um, you have the frozen yep. food?
1: Yeah, especially some of the some of the frozen foods, and I don't remember which ones they are. They can be a little bit messier, and you, you could be adding. That's it. You put it in your tank, and your tank gets all cloudy and stuff. So that's not ever going to be something that you want to see in your tank.
0: What um, What would you say is a, a good uh, regimen in terms of the number of times that fish are fed during a day? And um, what? Uh, and the second part of my question is um, in terms of the variety of the diet you know, is, is it a good idea to kind of like mix it up for the different number of feedings? So I guess the first part of the question is how many times a day would you say is a, is a good number to feed the fish? And the other part is what kind of variety should they be getting?
1: This another one is going to depend on the type of fish that you have. Some fish, you know, you you should probably feed three times a day. Other fish you don't necessarily need to feed. Um, if you're feeding light, you can probably get away with feeding multiple times a day. Frank, Um, You know, he's a cowfish. I know you guys probably don't have cowfish, but they get fed once a day. Um, They get a big heaping amount of pellets, and they get fed once a day. But uh, I know not everybody is the same way. It's too no no wonder. No wonder you
0: can't keep them with corals because uh, he'd be munching those corals, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Always, I I tried to put a leather in there, thinking it'd be safe. He disappeared thirty minutes.
0: But yeah, I've, um, I've definitely kind of struggled with what's the optimal number of feedings. And I guess it just does depend, uh, you know, I've got, um, I like to have anthias and i you know, my understanding is that anthias like to get fed multiple times a day and and that sort of thing. So it's, 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 I guess, dependent on terms of the kind of fish that you keep in the tank, but, um, yeah, you know, um, and and is it always a good idea to kind of like have pellets in the diet as well?
1: Um, you don't have to. I like I like pellets because they're easy to feed. Um, you know, if I'm walking by and I've got clean hands, pellets are easy to just take a pinch and put in the tank. But I do like the idea of having a varied diet. So even if I'm just feeding pellet foods, I've got three or four different kinds of pellets that I'll throw in this tank, in you know, in addition to the frozen foods that they might get on Fridays or other times throughout the week.
0: Frozen, frozen uh, fresh food Fridays there,
1: huh? Yep.
0: Um, so, you know, Hillary, what, um, what else are we, uh, missing here in terms of, uh, you know, care for fish? I mean, what, what are, what are some like, um, you know, good tips that you would provide? I mean, how about like top three tips for folks in terms of keeping fish, you know, in a reef tank? What, uh, what would you say is like, you know, if you had to give kind of, you know, advice to somebody in terms of keeping good care of your fish, keeping them healthy and happy. What would, uh, what would those, you know, tips, that advice
1: be? Oh, well, that's, that's tricky. Um, I guess making sure that they going back to diet, making sure that they have a good, well-balanced diet, um, making sure that you're not overfeeding. Um, I, I know it might not be something that's often seen. I've seen a lot of obese fish, so cutting back on overfeeding them. Um, this is going to sound silly, but enrichment and I talk about this in some of the Marine Depot videos is having a source of enrichment for your fish. Um, if you think, you know, in the wild, they're gonna be on the reef, they're gonna be cruising around exploring, like sticking their heads in different little holes and looking at things and, you know, doing a little bit to change their environment. So, you know, that could be as easy as, you know, ramping up, up and down your lights or changing the flow pattern or something like that, or changing the different types of foods you feed or when you feed. I think that can benefit their health. So it's kind of like a hippie way to, you know, hippie thing to think about, but you know, think about when you reorganize the house or something. Oh, Hey, kind of gives you a new, different sort of feel. I'm like, Oh, is exciting and new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Apollo uh, pal. Thank you so much for that super chat comment is keep up the good work. We uh, appreciate you tuning in. Yes. Um, so the Herm 14, the comment here is, I always thawed out my frozen food in a cup with RO water, but I add vitamins. I then spill it in a shrimp net and feed the tank. Is that considered rinsing? Don't want to take any good things out.
1: So when I think about rinsing, I think about like taking the, like taking just rinsing it under RO water and then putting it in the tank.
0: What if you rinse it in tap water and then squeeze it out is that okay? And the reason why I'm asking is because that's what I do. And um, I also, you know what, I, I, um, I have these frozen cubes that I'll, uh, you know, take out of the freezer. And I want to thaw them quickly, so I run them, under, I run them under hot water. And then I squeeze the water out in a, in a very fine net, mesh, mesh net. And then I just squeeze, you know, whatever water is out. Is, is, that, uh, is that not good? Is that uh, is that an okay practice?
1: I think so. Um, that's what we did with some of our foods at the aquarium. So
0: I'm always looking for shortcuts yeah. there, Hillary. So that's why I'm using the hot tap water.
1: <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. My problem is the taste of sit out in a container to thaw and I'll forget that I have them set to thaw. I'm like, oh man, my house, my kitchen smells like fish food. I got to start all over again.
0: <laughs> John Reefer, uh, Vermont's asking me if I have well water. And, uh, yes, I do. What, uh, what's the implications of that there, John? <laughs> I, you know, so far it's working for me. Okay. Um, Haley, any, anything else you wanted to, um, to mention? I think we'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll be respectful of your time and we'll, uh, we'll kind of wrap things up. But um, anything else in terms of topics that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about?
1: Oh, man. Uh, we've covered so much. I'm excited we got to talk about fish food. I love, I love talking about fish food. Um, you know, I should get you to, like, figure out how to do a joint video marine depot video because i'm going to talk about how to like make your own fish
0: foods oh yeah no i did a uh, I did a video in terms of uh that so my whole i, I what do i i call it uh, reef bum chum <laughs> I
1: love it. that's awesome reef
0: bum chum uh what other comment john reefer vermont no chlorine yeah that's true all right so i think i'm good you know if it's swell water uh, Blue reef, I have a mass swallowtail that might have a little air in its blad in his bladder. He goes up to get air when he's full and his belly is bloated. Is I don't think there's a question in there, but is that something that um, Blue Reef should be concerned about?
1: Um, just keep an eye on it. I think over time, a lot of times, if they get those air bubbles stuck, they can, for the most part, dislodge them themselves. If not, you know. I said, Just keep an eye on it. Hopefully that should go away by itself. Um, Actually, Dr. Jessie Sanders, she is um, a fish veterinarian in California. She's got a lot of great resources for stuff like that. So if that persists, I would definitely check out her website. She's got some good information on it.
0: What about Popeye? What if you see a fish that has um, either one or two enlarged eyes? Is that something that um, you should try to, you know, treat? I've heard Epsom salt can be an effective treatment for, for Popeye. And uh, I, I believe that would be a reef safe uh, treatment. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But um, what, what, uh, what should, if we see a fish or you know some fish with the, uh, the enlarged eyes, is, is that something we should be concerned about? Or is that kind of a disease that you kind of let, let ride and see how that works out?
1: Um, most cases that I've seen it, we kind of just let it ride and see how it works out. Make sure that the water, like you're staying on top of water quality. A lot of times with reefs, that's not an issue because you're already on top of water quality. But if you've got a Fowler tank, you know, maybe you've let something you know, slack a little bit. Um, actually, we had a, I think it was an anthias at work that we had to take him out every, catch him every single day and put little drops on his eye and pop by it was
0: ridiculous. <laughs> that must have been stressful for the uh, for the fish for sure.
1: Stressful for both
0: yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, oh I know she's gonna catch me and put stuff in my eye. I don't want that.
0: So Paula Powell is is asking, um, I have heard garlic is not good. Any thoughts on that?
1: I've heard that garlic can, I think I know what you're talking about. I'm referencing um in my experience garlic has been amazing. It works as an appetite stimulant. Um I've, you know, immune boosting. So I, I'm a big fan of it. Especially, I've heard actually too on um, the YouTube video, somebody mentioned that it can be used to help with head and lats, which I'm not sure how true that is. I haven't done a lot of, you know, testing on that or read that much, but I'm a big fan of garlic. I think it's,
0: I think it's really great. You mentioned uh, lat, uh, you're, were you referring to like lateral line disease? Is that, um, so Tangs seem to be susceptible to, uh, to lateral line disease and I've also had tangs and I've got a, one of my purple tangs is actually suffering from some um, fin rot, you know, not, not oh. to the point where it's um, impacting the way it can swim, but I had a, um, a black tang years and years ago that just really had a bad case of um, fin rot. What, is that some sort of bacterial infection that's going on there and is that something that you just need, really need to pull the fish out and treat?
1: Yeah. Um, and I can't remember, Seachem makes a product that I like to mix it with food. I wish I could remember it off the top of my head. Um, but you can just mix it up with food and treat and that should help it go away in a very short period of time.
0: It's. And, and the fins will regenerate.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I may have to get the fish hook out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jason uh, Langer is asking, fox faces are known to gulp air from the surface. Why?
1: fox faces yeah um i haven't heard of that but i'm i guess that like when they're in the aquarium if you think about like when you're putting the food food's gonna hang out on the surface they're going after it so it might just be i say a trained response uh, an unintentionally trained response
0: so i have a couple of fox faces in my frag tanks and um how concerned should i be about getting spiked you know, they're, uh, they're poisonous. So if, if that happens, what's, what's a good piece of advice just to run to the hospital or, uh, have my wife suck <laughs> it out of my uh, hand or whatnot.
1: Uh, say hot water.
0: Hot, I mean, so um, how, I mean, I guess the question is how dangerous can that potentially be?
1: It depends on how allergic you are. Uh, um, I, you know, I've known people that are like, Oh, it just it hurts really bad. I was fine. You know, macho guys. Oh, whatever. Um, I've known a couple of other people, they're like, that was the worst pain of my life, but they didn't go to the doctor. So um, I would err on the side of caution and go to the doctor anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, just be careful when handling them. It's funny, before I ever realized that there could be an issue with them when I like my very first job, I was handling it, just like picking up, they're like, Hillary, be careful. Like, no, he's he's cool. I'm like, no, be careful. You're not like workers comp. No, we will not be happy. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Reef keepers saying hot water is a good remedy for, uh, for fox faces. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, you know, they're great for frag tanks because they're just super, you know, herbivores and they'll just mow down any, uh, any algae and and what have you. But, um, I do have my hands in, in the frag tanks a lot and I get, I get a little nervous. You know, I'm always keeping an eye on those, uh, those guys just to make sure they're not getting too close. And, and one of my fox faces likes to eat out of my hand when I feed, feed nori to the tank. And, uh, I don't know. I get a little nervous doing that.
1: Just, just use caution. Move carefully. If they're familiar with you, the chances of them getting freaked out probably pretty low.
0: Um, Blue Reef, what's your view on adding uh, VitaChem to food? We uh, we talked about that. That uh, you like VitaChem, and I think also the uh, the Brightwell um, products as well. Yep. Uh, Reef keeper got hit by a lionfish. Hot water did the trick. Ooh, lionfish! Yikes. That's probably more. Is that more poisonous than a foxface? Or
1: um... I'd say they're probably on the same level. I think. Really?
0: Wow. I thought like the lionfish were really bad news versus anything else. But wow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, Hillary. This has been awesome, and um, I think uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Any uh, any final words before we uh, sign off tonight?
1: I don't do your research before you buy or put anything in your tanks.
0: That's, uh, that's good advice. You don't want to like just put something in there that, uh, looks pretty and, um, you know, might, might, um, you know, not be happy and healthy, uh, fish. Uh, well, one last thing, you know, we talked about this before the show, do you want to talk about public aquariums? You, um, you had a, uh, a blog post that, uh, you had, you know, your top, uh, I think 10 favorite public aquariums. You want to kind of talk about maybe the top three that people should check out,
1: Yeah. Uh, So I'm a big fan of public aquariums. I've worked at a public aquarium before. Um, If you guys are watching this and you're not familiar, during pandemic, so many of these places have been closed. And I know from firsthand experience and friends that work at them, um, they're still there. They're still there taking care of all of their animals and all of their fish and just still giving 110%. And, you know, I'm not trying to encourage you to spend money, but if you you know are thinking about a cool thing to do for you know your kids or you just want to support somewhere, consider giving a donation and supporting your local aquarium. But some of my favorites, and oh gosh, this is so hard to pick favorites. Um, I would say Aquarium of the Pacific is probably up on the top of my list. Um, I just they have fantastic exhibits. They just opened. Oh, a year ago, they just opened this brand new exhibit that's just absolutely amazing, Pacific Visions, um, and they've got great art, cool fish. It, it, it's incredible. Um, so Aquarium of the Pacific is probably one of them. Let's see. I like some of the smaller aquariums. And I, you know, Kiel the Bay Aquarium is another one that's out in California that is uh, really cool. You You go to some of these smaller ones and they have unique local exhibits that you might not find anywhere else. So I like the smaller places for that reason. And to give a shout out to the Shed, Shed is great, but one of my favorite reasons um, to visit the Shed is because they are one of the few places that I've seen the little South American puffers on display. And that was the first fish that got me into everything, so.
0: Cool, Reef Keeper uh, mentions Monterey Bay Aquarium is pretty sweet right up, right up the road from him and worth seeing for sure. Uh, John yeah. Reaper Vermont. I love Aquarium of the Pacific. Took my son there every month. Um, yeah, and is also mentioning there's no such places in Vermont. I know, I know. <laughs> well, anyway, Hillary, thank you, thank you so much. This was awesome, and um, had a lot of fun. I learned a lot, and and I I, I know the uh, the viewers uh, did as well. So we really appreciate you having you on as a guest. Thank you
1: so much for having me. This has been a fun talk. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All right, folks. So that's going to do it for this show. And, and I want to thank Hillary again. My next live stream is going to be next Thursday, March 11th at 7 p.m. And I'm going to have Brandon McHenry on. Brandon is a um, an outreach scientist and aquarius at FAU Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. So, you know, he, he has to touch with SPS because he actually was just named the Reef to Reef Tank of the Month. So we received those honors and we're going to have him on next week. And I'm sure we're going to be digging into that tank. So it should be another great show. And I also want to remind you that um, I'm going to be having a live coral show on Saturday, March 13th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's going to feature a whole bunch of premium WYSIWYG SPS frags that will be on sale. So like I said last week, grab a beer. I'm going to have a beer and, and uh, or your favorite beverage, and we'll kind of maybe even do some Q&A. But until then, be safe, be well, and we'll see you next time. Adios, folks.